we're going to be talking about here. Uh, but uh, first of all, I just wanted to introduce myself. I'm Kurt Reed from Calvary Chapel Harvest Life in Las Vegas, Nevada, and I'm uh, filling in for Pastor Tom again this week and next week as well. We've got a special guest that's going to be joining us here in just a moment. But before I introduce him, do want to let everyone know we've also got a special guest next week. Uh, also, we've got Olivier Melnick that's going to be joining me. So uh, definitely looking forward to that. Something else to uh, let you all know about that when this program is done today at 6 p.m., again, Pacific Standard Time on my own channel, encourage you to hop on over there this evening because we've got a very special guest that's joining us in our church tonight at Calvary Chapel Harvest Life. Uh, Pastor and evangelist Don Perkins is going to be in the house, going to be an incredible evening cannot wait, going to be great, and you're not going to want to miss it. So uh, you can uh, check that out by uh, going to our website, Harvest Life CF, that's C as in Christian, F as in fellowship.org. You can go on the website and watch. You can get our app in the app store by uh, typing in Calvary Chapel Harvest Life, or you can find us on YouTube, which uh, probably the majority of the people find us there. Just type in Kurt Reed, that's C-U-R-T-R-E-E-D. So check that out tonight at our church with Pastor Don Perkins joining us. So, all right. Well, we got a lot of uh, a lot of things to get to today. So today our special guest, uh, very special guest. Looking forward to it uh, today, Pete Garcia. And uh, Pete, are you there? I'm here. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> Glad to have you joining us today. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm very good. Sweet. How are you? Sweet. What's going on over there? I heard that uh, you got some uh, some bad weather going on again. Yeah, it's gonna hit today. Uh, nothing like we had last time with the tornadoes and stuff, but it'll be it'll be pretty nasty for the rest of the day. So hopefully this this recording can go through and we won't have any issues. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We don't want the tornado situation like that <laughs> <laughs> in the summer. That was crazy. All right. All right. So uh, we were talking the other day about uh, kind of the subject matter looking ahead for today. And uh, we were talking about six signs of the Messiah's soon return. Of course, we're not we're not saying there's only six signs of but, but we limited it to six. And there's, I guess, a number of cata, uh, subcategories within those as well. But uh, let's get right on to it today. Uh, Pete, want to get started? Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, we, we've all heard this from people, you know, the, uh, you know, friends, neighbors, family, and we talk about the Lord's return and they're all like, oh, you know, people have been saying that for forever. My great, great, great grandmother said that the Lord was going to come back soon. And, you know, here we are today. Well, I can tell you that that the number one sign that that uh, makes this generation stand apart from any other is is as many people know already is the nation of israel the nation of israel being back in her land as a sovereign nation again after almost two thousand years that is the cynic quanon which is latin for you know without which there is not uh, it, without israel back in her land none of these other prophecies and these signs are um indicative of anything other than just the normal goings about of human history so I think Israel being back in our land is the key to all of this. And so I, I've looked at this as a kind of a narrowing um, process over the last, you know, 120 plus years. And I think if we start in 1897 with the first Zionist Congress uh, led by Theodore Herzl, uh, you go from there, you go to the Balfour Declaration in 1917, you go to the UN Resolution 181, which authorized the partitioning of the Jewish and the Arab state. Uh, in 1947, then you go to uh, the Six Day War in 1967, uh, where the, the the Jews were able to recapture and and put back together all of Jerusalem, and then you go to 1977, where the Camp David Accords start in this whole land for peace process that took about 40 years. 1987 is when the Temple Mount Institute began, and that really was kind of the the genesis for a lot of the new temple movements, uh, you know, to rebuild this third temple going forward from that, from 87 till today, it has gained so much traction, money, the materials, the people, the little bit, you know, the Levitical priesthood has been revived, the Pharisees, 
we start to see all this kind of play out even now with the things that are taking place in the last couple of years. You fast forward from 87 to 2017, Donald Trump recognizes uh, Jerusalem as the capital of Israel for the first time. And, you know, since uh, I think Cyrus, you know, it's like 2,500 years of Gentile ruler recognizes Jerusalem as the sovereign uh, capital or the capital of the sovereign nation of Israel. And then even the last couple of years, 2018, um, we moved our embassy to Jerusalem. 2019, we've had um, the the gas in the uh, Leviathan field starts to start to flow for the first time. Uh, 20, obviously, 2020, all the, the events that happened around the world with 2020. And then here in 2021, there was this guy that came forward. He's a, well, I call him a false messiah, but he is a uh, Rav Shlomo Yehuda Biri. And this is where all these different uh, Orthodox and ultra-Orthodox sects have begun to recognize him as the Yanaka, which means he's a, a prodigy. Uh, he's apparently has memorized the Torah. He's he's fluent in all of the Talmud, which is you know hundreds and hundreds of documents. Um, obviously, he's Antichrist because he does not recognize Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. Um, he is a Antichrist. He's not right. the Antichrist. And then we have the five red heifers, and then you have this train, this movement to to build this train, connect the train from Ben Gurion Airport in Tel Aviv all the way up to the uh, Temple Mount, which is supposed to be operational in 2023. So I say all of that to say this: you start to see a narrowing process where you in 1897 you see what is the big discussion, what is the big issue, and the issue is identity. Who are we as a people, right? And they are Jews all scattered all over the world are starting to come together from Europe, all over Europe. And there's a movement, a Zionist movement to get back to the land. So then we see the, the next big issue is the land. We see that in 1917, where uh, the English, who were the world superpowers at the time, uh, decide to uh, allow for Aliyah, for these Jews to begin to repatriate back to what used to be the Ottoman Empire at that time. Then the Ottomans lost in World War One. So we see from identity to the land, and then we start to see to the nation there in 1947 with the UN recognition of, of or you know, the, the vote to partition the land between a Jewish and an Arab state. And then we see the city uh, become focused in six-day war. And then from the city, we start to see the temple. And then from the temple, we start to see all of these things that are starting to happen. So I don't think the red heifers in and of themselves are the, the sign of the end, right? Like I didn't get all excited. I mean, it's interesting to me that the, that that has happened this year, but it's not the sign. What is the sign that was the converging of all of these things pointing to where Israel is going to be in the 70th week of Daniel? So it's this narrowing or winnowing of God's purpose for the nation of Israel going into the 70th week. Yeah, well, well said. And uh, interesting. Have you seen the coin? By the way, they uh, they made a coin with uh, you know the head of Trump on it, and I think the other side had uh, Cyrus on it. Uh, if I, I saw I saw a picture of it. Yeah, I don't have one. I wish yeah. I did. That'd be cool. Yeah, it's super cool. Yeah, I'd love to have one of those. I, I just think that'd be uh, kind of interesting, you know. Yeah, somebody had said a long time ago, I know we've, we've mentioned this a number of times before, that when you look there, you see that uh, that Israel would be uh, could represent on a clock, you know, God's prophetic time clock, so to speak. Israel could represent uh, the hour hand, Jerusalem, the minute hand, and Temple Mount, uh, the second hand. And, and, just, and this is what we're seeing here, when, whether we're talking about uh, back in the late 1800s, going through the Belfort uh, uh, in 1917, all of these things, and it's just moving in, moving in. 47, 1948, of course, uh, official uh, statehood again, and then 1967, all of these things, and it's moving in, and we see that that all focuses on this this tiny little bit of, of global property. I mean, you just think about it. I mean, how, how, how can it be? Such a small and tiny bit of property globally is just the focus. It's the focus of the UN all the time, right? I mean, they're always up, uh, uh, up in an uproar there in the UN, resolution after resolution against them. In fact, we find that there are more UN resolutions against Israel than against all of the other nations combined. Think about that. Against yeah. Syria, against North Korea, against communist China, communist Russia, uh, you name it. So many of them, right? And more are against 
Israel than against all of the rest of them combined. The, the world is literally against Israel. Why? Because what God is for, Satan is always against. What God provides, Satan uh, likes to pollute, right? And, uh, and, and, and so all of the focus is once again moving there. And if all of the focus is moving there, and when we look, we see uh, whether we're looking in Daniel, we're looking in Matthew 24. Certainly, you look in the book of Revelation, you see that focus right there again with Israel, with Jerusalem, uh, specifically even with the Temple Mount. You see the two witnesses. The two witnesses are going to be there in Israel. All of the focus is, uh, is on Israel or is moving to, towards Israel. It's absolutely incredible what we are witnessing before our very eyes. I mean, literally, Israel is a modern-day miracle modern day she miracle. is yeah she is and it's it's fascinating to me how uh the world is you know like you said a sliver of a piece of real estate in the middle east surrounded by giant nations that dwarf her in population and land size and and for some reason she is just like a thorn in their side they they are doing whatever you know they have for the last 70 years they've tried everything in the in their in their power to get rid of her they've tried wars they've tried terrorism they've tried false uh false treaties they've tried um you know worldwide campaigns to boycott uh everything that they've tried to throw at her is is not working and uh so we see the frustration of that kind of come to its fulfillment here uh when trump took office uh, where, you know, and I'm not saying that the Abraham Accords is, is the, um, uh, you know, it's, it's a lasting peace or anything like that. But I think that they tried to look at it from a very pragmatic standpoint, um, realizing that there's going to be these, you know, you know, millennia long, um, blood feuds, if you will, between the Jews and the Arabs. So they tried to work around other angles. And, and what's interesting to me is that you start to see some shifting attitudes within the Middle East, particularly from Saudi Arabia, who, who now began to downplay the importance of the Temple Mount. They downplay the, the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque and saying, well, you know, that's not that important to us. And, and you know, their real holy sites are Mecca and Medina. So um, it's interesting to see the shift in attitudes there. Now, I don't know how it is going to go forward, but we know by the time that Gog and Magog and Ezekiel 38, when that conflict happens, uh, Saudi Arabia is at least... You know, Saudi Arabia doesn't join in on it. They are protesting what's going on. So they are at the very least um, not allied with Israel's enemies. And they seem to be somewhat maybe, you know, business partners or some kind of treaty partners with Israel at this point. So they are making a protest, but they're not they're not helping Israel. And to be fair, the Saudis couldn't help Israel anyways um, in the military guards. But uh, so that that's that's interesting to me that interesting to me to see that we are there at this point now. Uh, with regards to the the prophetic attitudes that are going to be in place for Gog and Magog. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, uh, just a little side note, you know, with Netanyahu's uh, uh, victory again, and uh, I think that's going to be interesting to see how... Uh, uh, how that all plays out. But something else I was thinking about as, as you're speaking there, you think here, uh, understand, I mean, the enemy knows scripture all too well, right? That's the reason why he's able to um, uh, pervert God's word as he does, right? He knows God's word. <laughs> and uh, uh, I mean, you think uh, leading up to uh, Israel becoming a nation again there in 1948, and what did the enemy try to do? He tried to exterminate the Jews, because think about it. I mean, all of this is part of, of, of the enemy's plan, right? Because, hey, if he could have exterminated the Jews, then you can't have an Israel. You can't have Jerusalem. You can't have Temple Mount. You're not going to have a temple on Temple Mount. All of the scriptures that uh, were speaking about what was going to be would be null and void. Now, we know, I mean, I don't know, <laughs> sin makes you stupid, right? I mean, <laughs> the, the enemy yeah. thinking that he's going to thwart God's plan, and he doesn't even realize that he falls right into it, you know? But, uh, but I, I firmly believe that, uh, that he was using uh, the Third Reich, Adolf Hitler, to try and prevent uh, the, that very thing from happening.
you know, so it's it's absolutely incredible what's what's going on. Well, let, let's move on to that. I know we got a lot of a lot of ground to cover. Hopefully we can cover it all. Um, <laughs> let's look at the second one here. Apostasy. Apostasy. So I am a big proponent of the idea that the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation two and three speak to the not just to the historical churches that were there in John's day in circa 19 or 95 AD, almost said 1995, um, but 95 AD when Emperor Domitian was in, in charge of the Roman Empire, those were seven historical churches. But the order that they're put in, to me, leads to the idea that Christ was also foretelling what was going to, what the, the next 2000 years would look like across the church age. And only Christ could do this, right? Only God could do this because only God is privy to the future. Um, but when you bury that up with the idea that there are seven letters to seven churches by Paul, so Paul wrote seven letters to seven churches. If you take away the duplicates and the pastoral letters and the personal letters like Timothy and Philemon and and um, uh, you know the seconds like Second Corinthians and Second uh, Thessalonians. Uh, he wrote seven letters to seven churches. And then you take the seven kingdom mystery kingdom parables, which I believe John Wilford also believed that the mystery kingdom was speaking to the church age. Uh, all three of those overlay each other. And because it starts with Ephesus and it ends with Laodicea, there is a prophetic uh, uh, unfolding of, of how the church age would go, right? Mm -hmm. And so the church of Laodicea, if the church of Laodicea had been listed first, then this Obviously, this prophetic um, theory doesn't work, but since it's the the way it is now, um, I believe that that we are in that Laodicean period where we're starting to see a great shift within Christendom away from uh, the traditional Orthodox positions uh, that that have long been held, right? And it's not just within Christianity; we're seeing it in popular culture, but it's in, it's bleeding over into the church. Ideas about marriage about when life begins, about uh, even, you know, history, even history is being revised and and, and messed with. And I, there was an old Russian saying, I don't know if it's a Russian saying or like a proverb or a joke, but they said, you know, the the, the future is uh, is unknown, and, and, but even the past, is uh, even our history is uncertain. You know, like they don't, things get rewritten over and over over there. And I think we're starting to see that same playbook over here where for you know hundreds of years, Christopher Columbus, for instance, was seen as a as a good man. He was going over, he was exploring, and and now he's just been completely villainized as he he brought just death and destruction to the new world. And and it, you know that this is all part. The pilgrims were bad, you know. Uh, the 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 founding fathers were bad, and you know. And so we see this revisioning going on, and so people have soured to our founding they've soured to the judeo-christian worldview and i think that the, that the church today and i would say a majority of uh, uh modern um protestant organizations denominations uh are beginning to to bend the knee to culture in order to stay relevant in their communities so that you're starting to see the blm flags and the the LGTB, uh, LG, I can't ever say this right, LGTPQ plus whatever flags out there, you know, in front of their churches, we're starting to see the drag queen story hours. Now, that is that is not all the churches. That is on kind of the, I would say, the far the far left fringe of, of, of churches, but it's starting to, to permeate and become normalized across the rest of churches, right? The big, the big uh, departure for me in terms of modern churches is their uh, lack of, uh, they don't want to be controversial. They don't want to, you know, everything now is controversial, so they don't want to talk about anything controversial. So even if you talk about salvation by grace through faith, through uh, Jesus Christ, that is considered controversial. We can't, in their, in their mind, they're saying, you know, we can't share the gospel anymore because we might offend somebody in, in the in that group, you know, that might be a Hindu that's attending or something. And this is this it's it's just, you know, it's it's a it's really just bending the knee, it's bending the knee to culture. And that's causing the church to, to deaden and to fall away. And I, and I know that this this idea of apostasia in Second Thessalonians 2 is a hotly contested word that can mean, you know, some people believe it's the literal rapture. Some people believe it's the actual defection within Christendom. 
I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of undecided on what exactly that word means or what Paul was trying to intend there. But we do see a huge shift in a, a deadening of the church here in Western civilization uh, because the culture itself is suiciding. It, um, it's suiciding itself um, and divorcing itself from the Judeo-Christian worldview. Uh, yeah, totally. And uh, I think you used the word relevance or, or relevant. And uh, there's nothing more relevant than the Lord. There's nothing more relevant than his word. Yeah. You know, he's the same yesterday, today and forever. And so is his word. His word changes not because he changes not. Right. I mean, you don't get any more relevant than that. I mean, if a church uh, think about this, Pete, if a church wants to be relevant, then that church needs to be a biblical church you know, founded on on the word of God, you know, it needs to be doctrinally sound and not to allow the world to dictate the talking points behind the pulpit. Right. The world should not dictate the talking points. God's word dictates the talking points. And when we get away from that, I mean, and when you talk about controversial and you're right, look, it, 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 who was it? Uh, Brandon Holdhouse, just this past Sunday, uh, the service here at the church. And he said, you know, it's about nickels and noses. And he's totally spot on, you know, because they don't want to ruffle the feathers. They don't want to be uh, controversial. Well, man, I'm telling you what, when I read in the gospels, Jesus was as controversial as they got. I mean, oh, yeah. I, I, I mean, he, uh, the things that he said, the things that he did, he just he blew their minds. Even of the disciples, think about it, even of the disciples who followed him, he blew their minds. I mean, it just doesn't get much more controversial than that. You know, and then when you see you talk about all this controversy, all of these kinds of things. In fact, uh, here's an article on Fox. Uh, Fox was reporting this mainline, think about it, mainline Protestant church adds non-binary queer or gender <laughs> queer to official membership statistics. I mean, you got you to gotta be kidding me. Well, then obviously they are not any longer so long farewell, right? You're no longer a mainline Protestant church now. Goodbye. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's unfortunate because, you know, I, I uh, gay people, straight people, Hindus, Muslims, uh, uh, everybody across the world needs Jesus Christ. They need Jesus Christ because if they die in their sins, they're going to be eternally separated from him forever right. into the lake of fire. And 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 so we can you know, it's it's easy for us as um, I would say Bible believing Christians and watchers of, of the the times that we're in, it's easiest, you know, and I would say us, I'm going to, I'll point to myself first, but I'll say that, you know, I'll look at a thing on the news and I'll see this drag queen story hour and I'll think, oh my gosh, what an abomination. And I'm angry and I'm mad about what's going on there. And I am, and it's right to be angry about things like that because they're exposing children to that kind of um, atrocity, abomination. But at the same time, I got to look at that guy dressed as a woman and think, man, he needs Jesus Christ just as much. And we need to be praying Amen. for people like that, praying for these guys that are out there uh, and these gals that are that are marching and yelling. They're, they're so angry and so visceral against Christianity, against um, uh, just the Judeo-Christian worldview in general. I'm, I'm not even talking about the Bible. I'm just talking about traditional things like marriage and the nuclear family and all that. And that's a demonic that is a, some kind of a demonic oppression or a possession that's going on. This, this I call it the Antichrist zeitgeist. It's just something that's sweeping through this generation that is driving these people insane. But to to the point about relevance in the Protestant church, there's a quote I wanted to give you real quick from uh, the late G.K. Chesterton. And it's pretty famous. You probably recognize this. But he said, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. And I think, man, you know, as times are getting hard and as we are winding down to the final moments of the last days, it is getting harder and harder and harder to to hold to this, um, to God's word and to hold to the, the 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 truths and the foundations of our faith. And I get it. It is isolating people. It is making it is causing families to divide. It is it is causing a great deal of uh, loneliness for for those who can't find churches to attend, uh, and there are fewer and fewer churches to even go to that teach the whole counsel of God. But this is the exact moment that God put us here. This is the exact moment we need to 
to lean into the storm, you know, and to stand strong because we are almost done. I mean, this time is coming to an end and we can see the finish line from where we are. Amen. And, and, and I want to dovetail on that for just a moment, because when we talk about uh, uh, wokeism and we talk about um, uh, what I call the remnant church, or what many of us call the remnant church today, look, those that are embracing that that woke ideology within the churches, they think what they're doing is embracing and it's loving. Right. I really I really think that they're, they're so deceived that they think that what they're doing is loving. But actually what they're doing is the, the a complete opposite of that. The most loving thing that you can do is to speak the truth. Now, if you speak the truth and you speak it without love, then you're abusive. Right. I know you've seen we've seen a number of Christians that are like that, and they're just so harsh in what they're speaking that it's just like cold water in, in someone's face. No one's going to receive that. You, you know what I mean? And so you got to speak the truth. Yes. If you don't speak the truth and you're just love, 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 you're not speaking the truth, then you're then you're just given a lie where there's the absence of truth. But if you speak the truth, you've got to speak it in a loving way. And the reality is, is that Jesus loves all of them just like he loved us too, to draw us into, uh, into the faith, to draw us to himself, you know. And uh, for those, maybe those that are watching today, maybe you're caught in uh, uh, you know, some of these different lifestyles or whatever it may be. Hey, there's hope in Jesus Christ. And what does the word say? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You know, uh, so praise the Lord for that. Well, all right. So uh, what about globalism? Globalism is another thing as we're looking at these signs, these uh, six signs of the uh, uh, Messiah's soon return. Uh, what do we see happening globalistically? I don't know if that's a word. I guess maybe we just made it up globalistically. Uh, <laughs> add that into a website. I think, it, like I think you did. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, but what do we see happening globally that uh, is unique right now compared to times before? Because when we're talking about these six signs, we're talking about things that are all happening simultaneously, which is one of the signs that Jesus said when you see all these things, right? We see these things happening simultaneously, but we also understand that individually that they are unique in regards to pointing towards the time of the end. So what do we see about that with globalism? What are your thoughts? So I, I, I'm a big fan of history. So I, I like to look at things from kind of the, the macro view down and, and scale it into the micro view. So if we go back through the, the thousands of years of history, what has been the dominant form of government? And it's been mostly monarchies or, or you know, some type of a royal rulership over a over a kingdom, a king over a kingdom, or a queen, or an emperor, or a uh, you know a czar, all of the different types of rulers. But essentially, they're the same thing. They are some kind of a monarchy that's ruled over a kingdom, and that was pretty much the norm uh, from say the Tower of Babel forward up until the time of of um, about the 1800s when the Age of Reason started to to kind of become the the dominant. Uh, the zeitgeist for that era, you know, we we could probably look back at the American Revolution in uh, 1776 to 17, I want to say 80, 81 or something. It was about five years. And then a few years after that, we had the French Revolution. And then we start seeing all of these revolutions across Europe uh, where the where the people were throwing off the shackles of these monarchies. And and then by the 1900s, you know, we start to see the, uh, the the British Empire fall apart between the two world wars. And and now we have just 193 nations in the world, sovereign nations. Some of them have still retained some kind of a a, a shadowy semblance of a monarchy like in the UK and uh, certain other places. But they, they don't hold any real power necessarily most of the power is within the their po the actual political leadership whether it's parliaments or congresses or or their military but uh so the world broke apart you know after world war ii and now what we're seeing what we've seen since world war ii is this constant efforts to put the world back together so even in world war one you know right after world war one you had the uh, the uh, Austro-Hungarian Empire, the Ottoman Empire, and I guess what was left, what was the, um, the the German Empire up north of there. When they lost that war, all of those countries began to break apart. And out of that came the League of Nations. And the League of Nations was kind of in play for about the next 10 or 15 years, but it didn't have any real strength in it because the Americans 
even though this was kind of uh, championed by Woodrow Wilson, you know, right after he signed this or, you know, wanted to get us involved in it, he got really sick and was bedridden at that point. And so the, 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 the willingness to jump in from an American standpoint kind of fell apart. So the next effort we see is after the end of World War II. And even before World War II ended, as soon as it looked like the tides were turning on the Third Reich and the, um, the Japanese uh, you know, uh, Churchill, Stalin, Roosevelt, all these guys began to meet and they, there was this, um, uh, creation. They wanted to create this, uh, new kind of League of Nations, but different. It had more teeth to it, had more power. And this is where we get the United Nations from. And that's still in play today. But even then you start to see this go, if we scale it in a little further, we start to see areas, continents begin to kind of, uh, abandon this idea of pure nationalism and go into um, like regionalism. So we have the European, we had NATO in 49 that formed this military alliance between America and Europe. Then we see Europe began to start to coalesce and come back together under the European coal and steel community in 51, the European common market in 57. Uh, we've seen all these transnational organizations begin to uh, uh, basically break the world apart into different regions. And the Club of Rome had this in place uh, in the 1970s. I think this was published in 91. Uh, then we start to see the strengthening and coalescing of Europe into the European Union, what it is today. And it's been like 20 different treaties that have happened over the years, beginning in 57 with the, the Treaty of Rome, mm -hmm. all the way up to the Treaty of Maastricht and to Barcelona and so forth to make the European Union what it is today. And there has been some fracturing around the edges right because you know obviously with uh brexit you know was an example of this um other populist leaders have risen up like trump who wants to make america great again and really kind of focus everything back on america well the globalists don't want that they've worked too hard and too long to get the world put under some kind of global system but the world is too diverse at the same time we've got all these different currencies we've got all these different religions we've got all these different uh uh, economic uh, um, problems that are going on uh, with uh, supply and demand and energy. So how are they going to do this? And they do it through crisis. They do it through crisis. So they, dr they drum up a crisis and they use these moments of crisis to uh, scare everybody into surrendering their uh, sovereign authority under some kind of global auspices whether it's uh, the World Economic Forums, whatever one of one of their plans, or the United Nations Agenda 2030, the Great Reset, all of these things are trying to drive back to some kind of global system. But I think what we see in Revelation 13 is not necessarily, at least at the beginning, we don't see a one world government. What we see is a regionalized imperial government. So there's these 10 kings, and they... Uh, Three of them fall to the Antichrist, the guy that will become the Antichrist, and then he takes over three, then he gains the majority over all of them. And at that point, it becomes a one-world system. And then his pillars of his government, obviously, are going to be the politics, the military, uh, the politics and religion, military, and then the economic side of it. So he's got this three-legged tripod that he builds his government upon. Right, and the world is already moving towards uh, all of these things. You know, we talk about uh, just control over people and uh, whether we're talking about what's going on with uh, gas and, and diesel, uh, the food crisis, all of these things. Look, they all affect our pocketbook, right? And uh, ultimately, we know that, uh, uh, that the Antichrist is going to have control over that, the mark of the beast, the technology uh, behind all of that. Um, <clears throat> we'll get into that hopefully as well shortly you know and we talk about this whole i mean you just look at this whole diesel situation that's going on right now uh just right here in america i mean it's it's not good you know it's really it's really looking uh, pretty bad especially right now um at this time of the year, and there's a, I, I was reading, uh, I think it was earlier this morning, uh, I think it was seven different states, uh, Virginia was one of them, a number of them, that are really uh, in a bad situation right now. And what do they use? They, they create a problem, then they say, hey, I'm going to be the savior of that problem. Well, actually, they create a problem, then they cause fear because of that, and then they come around on the back end and they say, okay, now we're the savior. 
So accept this thing. Uh, you're not going to need that freedom right now. You've got to give up some of your freedom in order to uh, have a certain level of protection. And we're going to be that covering over you. You know, and uh, and I, I believe that that's totally the platform of the uh, uh, the Antichrist or will be the platform of the Antichrist. There's there's a problem and you're afraid you're concerned. And hey, but don't worry about it. Big brother, we're going to be here. I'm going to be here for you. I'm going to solve that problem. Just trust in me, you know, and uh, and every time we see that man has done that, uh, government doesn't solve our problems, you know, <clears throat> no, they don't. No. That's the that's the old Hegelian dialectic where they 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 already have the solution in mind, they create the problem and then they they introduce a solution like oh we have a solution here here you go, um, so but the but I think the point too is that uh, Satan right you know I, you know I don't know I don't know I, we know that Satan was there when Christ was crucified so even though you and I and many other churches and theologians and students of the, of the Bible, we, none of us know exactly when Christ was crucified. I know there's a lot of debate between um, whether it was in the year 2029 or 2030 or 2032 or 2033. There's, there's about a four-year window of when Christ was crucified, but they seem hyper-focused on the year 2030. And we know that if they are not of God, that, that Satan is using them to his own end. So he is focused on 2030 for some reason. And it's not just the UN. I mean, there is the U.S. military uh, is driving for the army of 2030. I mean, there's a bunch of different agencies that are using 2030 as some kind of a benchmark. We don't understand why exactly that year. Why not 2032 or why not 2040 or 2029? Like what? Something, you know, maybe they just like a good round number or something, but something is pinning them to 2030. I think Satan is behind that. He knows there's going to, there is something associated with that year. Now, I'm not saying anything. The Lord's coming back on the year. I'm not trying to make any of those kind of predictions. I'm just saying that they are focused on 2030 for some reason. And so it's, it just leads me to believe that there's, there's spiritual forces behind this, dark spiritual forces behind this, driving this like racing, whipping them, race, you know, pushing them to get everything done because he knows his time is running short. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I mean, um, I, I don't know what we do with this information necessarily. I guess we'll find out after the fact, but uh, I mean, here we are, we're, we're coming up upon 2000 years of his death and resurrection and ascension, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, we're, we're like uh, we're almost right there. I mean, I think that's just uh, that's incredible in and of itself, and in light of everything that's taking place. What do we do with it? I don't know. You know, we'll we'll, we'll see after the fact of everything. We can look back, and and everything will make a lot more sense to us, I suppose, uh, at that point. So, what about financial crisis? What about things having to do with finances, with money, uh, all of those kinds of things? Record debt, mark of the beast, technology. What about all of that right now? You, you see, that is also a sign. Uh, of the uh, Messiah's soon return? You, uh, I mean, so uh, you look back again, if you look back over history, we started out doing bartering and trading, you know, for goods and services, you know, based on an, a, mostly an agrarian economy, uh, farming and agriculture and, and livestock. And then that as civilizations began to build up and people began to produce things that also then became those commodities moved into like textile goods and clothes and perfumes and, and wines and all different other kinds of things. But, you know, that was pretty much the norm for thousands of years until, uh, you know, currencies began to to be to come forth. And that took in the shape of metals, mostly precious metals, precious stones or things that were precious to the whatever part of the world you lived in. And then that was the norm for a long time. And then around the seventh or eighth century A.D., um, it was in China, I believe, that created paper money um, that, that instead of having to carry around these big, heavy you know, bags of, of gold or whatever, you could just have a certificate for that same amount of what that bag was worth. And then that they started using paper money. And so that kind of caught on and that spread to Europe, eventually spread to the United States. So the U.S. has been through several, I don't know, probably six or seven different variations of our dollar or dollar paper currencies. And it used to be a certificate, like a, a silver certificate, and now it just says a Federal Reserve note. So now it's not even a, not even backed by silver or gold. It's just some kind of re Federal Reserve note. 
Um, so we know that the Federal Reserve was created in 1913 in order to stabilize our financial markets and has done the exact opposite of that. It seems like every time that there's another financial crisis, whether it's a, like a depression or some kind of economic crash, like they had in, uh, I think it was in the year 1923, there was an economic crash, 23 or 24. And, uh, and it, when those economic crashes happen, what happens is the little banks can't weather the storms when people make a run on the bank and uh, they get bought out by bigger banks. And so every time that there's an economic crash, the smaller independent banks get bought out by the bigger banks. And that's why we have now about six major uh, banking institutions in the United States, uh, you know, Bank of America, Citigroup and all those. Um, so those are the ones that pretty much own everything now. So every time there's a crisis, uh, more and more power gets con uh, put into the hands of fewer and fewer organizations. And so here we are now in uh, the year 2022, and uh, we are at $31 trillion in debt, which is in and of itself is, is absolutely unsustainable. And there's not enough American taxpayer. If every American paid 100% of their taxes, we wouldn't even make a dent on that. I mean, this would take hundreds and hundreds of years to pay off. If everybody paid 100% all the time with everything they earned, we know that's not going to happen. Um, here we are giving, you know, $40 billion to Ukraine, 40 over here for this. And we're just wasting an, an exorbitant amount of money on, on things that are not driving down our debt. So I think that they're spending this money because they know the game is up. This is why Biden is, is rushing to get this central bank digital currency thing online to get us up to par with the rest of the world where China and these other countries are, are ahead of us. And so that that 31 trillion is bad, but it's not even uh, a fraction of what we really owe when we look at unfunded li liabilities. We're at like 171 trillion when we're talking about payouts and um, to Social Security and for the, the, the people. You know, every year people start going on Social Security because people are starting to get to that. They age into that program, and that's not sustainable either. I mean, well, why? How, even if even if the Lord didn't return, let's just put it this way. If the Lord did not return, let's just say we knew we had a crystal ball. We knew he wasn't coming back to the year 2250 or some, you know, 100 and something years from now. We could not sustain our current trajectory that we're on. We have to change because just like a family cannot pay all of their bills on credit cards and then keep paying their credit card bills on credit cards, eventually that is going to run out. You're not going to be able to use that anymore because your credit's all used up. Nobody's going to loan you money. We're at that stage now. And so we've been borrowing money against our children and then against our grandchildren so that they will not, you know, they are not going to have any of the stuff that we have now. I mean, I'm on a retirement. Uh, you know, you've got folks that are retired on Social Security. They are not going to have any of that. That stuff is not going to be an option for them in the future. So the only option that they do have right now is to go to some kind of a digital currency uh, based on this ESG uh uh, ranking, and it's a pro and the problem with this digital currency. It's it's programmable. So if you don't toe the line of the government's agenda and whatever government's in place right there, they could just they could shut you off. They could cut you out of the system, just like they did to these Canadian truckers back in the summer. So uh, the, this programmable digital money is going to be an incredibly powerful tool to bring societies online uh, to make them do what they want, what the governments want them to do. Yeah, correct. I mean, the, the whole situation, I mean, it's completely unsustainable. I mean, this, uh, uh, eventually the whole de uh, house of cards, so to speak, is going to come crashing down. I mean, it's a foregone conclusion. America can't survive the, just the financial situation alone. Now, to take away the moral uh, woes of our country, a number of other issues that we've got going on right now, just the financial situation itself. And uh, if America goes, then uh, <laughs> at least how things are currently set up in the world, currently, if America goes down, then, then the world's global system goes down with it. That's just yeah, how, and I, how it is currently. And I believe that that completely <laughs> sets the stage for, again, Mr. Creepy himself to say, hey, I've, I'm the guy with the plan, you know? Yeah, and I think, too, we're, we're almost to the point. My friend Tyler from uh, Gen 2434, you know, made this point to clear to me, and I, I never really thought about it before. But with all of the impending crises that are coming, no, we know the restrainer right now is the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is restraining evil in the world. 
spiritual evil, physical evil. He's restraining uh, the Antichrist from being unleashed upon the world. But we're getting to the point now with some of these crises where, for instance, like with the wheat and the grain and, and cornstarch and all of these things that uh, diesel, all of these things that kind of make our world run, that if if God doesn't intervene, he's going to have to start providing manna from heaven because there is not going to be a, a a days of Lot, days of Noah, where people are buying and selling and marrying and giving marriage. There's not going to be any of that normalcy that that we associate with that passage, um, you know, where Christ is talking about the conditions of the world right before he returns. So we're getting to that point now where some of these things, like even in Europe this winter, uh, they are going to have no energy, no heat. Uh, there's going to be mass uh, 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 die-offs from people that are that are freezing to death, that are starving to death uh, because of the things that have taken place this year. But you're right. I, I absolutely agree that the United States, once we go, uh, it's going to it's going to be a cascading effect across the geopolitical um, landscape. We're going to create our absence will create this vacuum that other nations are going to have to rush to fill in or are going to want to rush to fill in and take our place as the leader of the of the world. So I think absolutely. I think that this is all coming to a head. Well, and as you as you're mentioning there, Germany and that whole situation, and and it's not just Germany, but Germany uh, is a big focus with all of this. Uh, look, what happens when when things get rough, when things get get hard, then the protests begin. Or well, there's already a lot of protests mm. going on in Europe. They're really not reporting on it that much in the American media, but the protests grow, right? Because of the uh, and then there's instability or instability. And then that affects the governments and, and you know, all of that. And that's exactly what I see that, that uh, is kind of laying the groundwork for what's coming. There's got to be instability for people to say, hey, this guy over here, he's saying something that seems to make sense. Well, let, what do we got to lose? Well, they're going to find out they're going to have a lot to lose, right? Uh, but that's what yeah. you're going to see. You know, when you talk about, like you mentioned again, uh, the diesel uh, shortage, that uh, affects things. You know, there's an article on End Time Headline saying Idaho grocery store shelves could be uh, bare in a matter of weeks. I mean, think about that. I mean, you got to be kidding me. In the U.S. of A., how, can, how could something like that? Let's hope it doesn't happen, you know. But, yeah. but they're talking about the very uh, reality that that, or that could actually happen. You know, I mean, I was reading something this morning, you know, butter. I mean, that's a major staple. It's up like somewhere around 30%. Eggs right around 50%. My wife, again, I said the other day, she went to, what was this? A couple of weeks ago, she went to Costco here, couldn't buy any eggs at all. She went again, uh, was it yesterday, the day before, uh, she was able to find all they had was brown eggs and there was just a few of them left. That's it. I'm like, what's going on? And then when you find this stuff, it's, you know, it's through the roof how much you're paying for all of this. It, it, it's crazy. It's all, it's all one big setup, though. I mean, how do you run out of this stuff? How do you have these shortages? How do you have these problems in a country like America? You know, some pretty bad policies and, and bad decisions. And it's all, uh, it's all coming together for something that's really ugly. Well, what, what about the next thing here? We got two more we got to cover here. Um, uh, pestilence, right? And I know that we got to uh, watch, kind of use some code uh, in how we uh, say what we <laughs> say here. Don't want to don't want to get uh, Tom shut down. But um, uh, pestilence is something, you know, whether we're talking about the bird flu, right? Now that's affecting things right now, and uh, which is also affecting the eggs uh, as well. Uh, but uh, whether we're talking about bird flu, whether we're talking about the whole cough, cough, sneeze, sneeze over the past two and a half years or so, uh, other things as well, you know, orangutan pox, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, I, 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 uh, I was looking at this this morning, and I just out of my own, because I'm a very curious person, I wanted to see what what was the history of this? So I went back through, I don't know, 1500 years or so. So in 541, there was the Justinian plague, which was, uh, many believe was the first iteration of the, the bubonic plague or the, you know, the black plague, the black death. Um, but what's interesting is that this thwarted, thwarted his attempts to, to revive the Roman empire. I didn't know this. Um, so back in uh, so the Justinian, he was uh, if you remember back to the Roman Empire, 
around the third century uh, AD, the the western leg and the eastern leg of the Roman Empire split in two. So on the western leg, uh, we know that that eventually collapsed and was sacked by the barbarians and stuff in the fourth century. But in the eastern leg, that became the Byzantine Empire and that ruled for another thousand years. And they were eventually conquered in the 14th century by the Ottomans. But but here in 541, Justinian, Emperor Justinian, was trying to revive all of Rome back together. And then this bubonic plague happens. And, 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 it, and it was drawn out over like two centuries and like 50 million people died. So you had the bubonic plague there in the 5th century. Then we fast forward to the 13th century with the second iteration of the bubonic plague. This is the one most people know about, the Black Death in Europe. And then you had somewhere in the neighborhood of like a third of the population there died uh, in the 13th century. And then you fast forward to the 18th century. 1855 was the third iteration of this bubonic plague. And this happened in China and India. And you had another 15 million people that died. But throughout here, there's there was, you know, outbreaks every hundred years or so. There's a major outbreak somewhere. But it seems pretty on the on the you know normal par for the course in terms of about every hundred years you have some kind of major outbreak. But then we get to the the 20th century here. You have the Spanish flu in 1918, 1919, that killed around 50 million people. The Asian the Asian flu, uh, 1957, that was about uh, 1.1 million. We had HIV/AIDS all from the 1980s forward that killed uh, 35 million, and then here in the the new millennium in the 2000s, we've had I mean we've had one, two, three, we've had about four or five major outbreaks that have killed millions around the world. I'm not even say what they are, but killed millions around the world, and it seems and you know part of this obviously is because the world's population has exploded. You know we were at in, in the year 1900 the American pop or the world population was around two billion. And now we're here, we're almost at about 8 billion. So obviously the, the population explosion is, uh, uh, or the, the, the number of these pandemics and things that are, that are happening are increasing because of the, uh, the population centers around the world are, are just blowing up. And people are moving to largely urban areas. And then obviously these big urban areas will, you know, the chance of things spreading happens very rapidly. So. Um, this is, uh, you know, another sign of the birth pains that that's increasing. And Jesus said, um, you know, it, here's what's interesting about what Jesus said in the in the Olivet discourse when his disciples asked him about the signs of the end of the age and all that. He gives them all these signs and you know, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, pestilence. Um, you know, people people becoming cold and and, and heartless and things like that. Um, but that and, and deception. But to me, those those are kind of micro signs. Those are the mini signs. The real sign is that they're all going to be happening at the same time. It's the convergence of all of them together. Is really, and and we see that, and he gives that example in the form of birth pangs, that they're happening faster and and closer together, and more frequently, and more intensely, and and so on and so forth, until it comes to, like every other pregnancy, ends up as a uh, the birth of a child, right? So we know Romans 8 says that there is something that that this all this groaning is going to lead to. And I believe that, that that what that leading to is the rapture of the church. Amen. Amen to that. And, you know, as you're talking about now, you know, with things becoming more uh, being more rural uh, in these modern times and how that spreads all of that as well, when you look at uh, the ease of transportation, right? I mean, whether yeah. we're talking about uh, cars, planes, uh, trains, you know, all, all of these things, especially planes, right? I mean, how quick and easy it is to get from here to there, right? And so something can spread just that quickly because of that, you know? You get yeah. on an airplane and you're in uh, New York City in the morning and you're in uh, California uh, sometime later in the day, you know? And it's then yeah. if you're taking some sickness pestilence with you whatever now you just brought it you know from one uh part of our shores to the other part just like that and so yeah it all spreads that quickly you know what what i find as an incredible um uh, i don't know if you want to call it a sign but something that i find incredible that that plays into the times that we're in right now when we're talking about pestilence we've seen pestilence i mean pestilence is nothing new uh, you know, what took place in 1917, 1918, when you look at it compared to the percentage of people uh, or the numbers of people in the world, percentage-wise, I see that as a, a far greater 
situation. Uh, but nonetheless, what really troubled me, though, over this, I mean, I remember when I was a kid, the swine flu. I don't know if you remember that or not, Pete, <laughs> if you were old enough um, for that, but the swine flu. But um, what really has troubled me over what's going on, you know, over these past, you know, almost three years here is not as much the pestilence as what the the power players have done with the pestilence that's the thing that has concerned me how they have utilized it uh in such a way as to shut down free speech shut down churches cause you know uh, you can't go to work you can't go here go there do this do that whatever it might be controlling people Right. Hey, make sure that you you get this right here so that you can go uh, eat at your favorite restaurant or whatever. Uh, some places, you know, you just show the uh, I'm not going to say what it is on your phone right there. And then, hey, as long as you've had that, then you get gain en- entrance into whatever it might be. We see the shutdown still taking place massively in China. OK, they're, uh, you know, trying to just totally get rid of this thing completely there. They just shut down uh, their Disneyland over there. Uh, I don't know if it's in maybe Shanghai or whatever uh, because of one person. Uh, you know, everyone's locked in there to Disneyland. I guess we're going to be locked in anywhere. I guess that might not be, you know, I don't know. Right. A few rides place, yeah. <laughs> or whatever. I don't know. But um, <laughs> but you get the point. So it's what they're doing with it. That is uh, the biggest concern for me you know, and how they're utilizing it and how globalism and the WEF and all of that plays into it. All right. So we got one last one here. We got to really cover this one, I guess, pretty quick. It's rough. Um, But uh, uh, one more thing, supernaturalism, supernaturalism. Mm -hmm. I mean, definitely when you look in the book of Revelation and uh, all of these things elsewhere in the word, you see at the time of the end, there are supernatural things taking place. Now, what do you what do you see with that, Pete? Yeah, it's been uh, uh, really since the 1800s, it's been shifting away from the Judeo-Christian worldview. Uh, With the age of reason, it introduced human secularism, it's introduced nihilism, existentialism, all of these kind of like anti-God, anti-Christ philosophies and ideologies, Darwinian evolution, all of that. And when you remove God from the component there, you know, when you remove God from that spiritual conversation that, that takes place in a society, something's got to fill that void. And in that void, we see this rushing in of things like Eastern mysticism from the Eastern religions. Paganism is being revived. Wiccan, uh, the occult, you know, all different flavors of the occult are rushing in. All the pseudo-Christian uh, uh, belief systems that are that are basically non-Christian at all, they, just, they, I, they call themselves Christian, but they teach things that are very anti-Christ, um, so we see all of those things rushing in, and, and what we've also seen is an explosion in the in the in the actual unexplained, unexplainable events that are taking place. And this is what's where I think that this supernaturalism really has kind of uh, become significant. If you think about like the paranormal, um, you know, in the the turn of the 20th century, like um seances and and uh, all of these things were kind of the 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 you know buzz around town for for the wealthy and the rich people that could afford to do it um and there was some uh, there was a lot of interest but that wasn't considered real science that you know that wasn't considered real uh people kind of did that just uh, they did not understanding what they were actually doing but i think when you look around the united states today and you look at like just google like haunted places in the united states i mean it just seems like man, that this is blowing up across America. Everywhere is haunted now. There is there is this explosion in it. Not not only is there an explosion of places that claim it, but there's this interest in it across every form of uh, entertainment: books, movies, music. Uh, it's not just Halloween. It's like Halloween every day of the year now. And then on top of that, you have the the UAP or the UFO phenomenon that's going on. And I looked it up. I researched like these are the major cases that could be documented. And if you go, it goes decade by decade. So in 1940, there was uh, I want to say there was like um, there was like 20 cases. And then you go forward and there's like 50 cases then 60 cases and there's like 100 cases. And we get up to the year where we're in now in the 2000s. There's been 6,500 
documented cases. I mean, these are ones that that have already been uh, investigated, scrutinized. We can't explain what's going on, and these are the kind of cases that they were discussing at the uh, the Senate hearing, uh, the disclosure Senate hearing a few years ago. I think it was last year or the year before. I think it was the last year Trump was in office. So um, with Senator, Senator Marco Rubio was leading that. But um, the U.S. military recognizes that there are things operating in our airspace that we we don't we don't have the technology to to to, to mimic or copy. We don't under, we don't know what they are. Uh, they seem very interested in Earth. And kind of going back to your point of with Israel, like you know, why is the world focused on this tiny little sliver of land in the Middle East? The whole world is hyper focused on this. Why are these beings if they are intelligent beings from another galaxy or another you know dimension or whatever why are they so focused on our little blue planet you know third rock from the sun um it's because this is where life is this is where god has focused his his attention on this planet and so satan is is ramping up activities and preparation for the rapture of the church he wants a ready excuse for why millions of people have suddenly disappeared and I think literally once the restrainer is removed uh, or when the, the Holy Spirit removes his, his restraining influence over the world, the supernatural is going to come flooding in. So it's kind of a two-part process. One is it's desensitizing people to the supernatural. And the other part is that it's a, it's a ready excuse for uh, the crisis that just took place to the rapture of the church. He's going to have something right on hand. So I think we're in a unique window of time here where we even get to talk about things like this before it happens. I think that maybe uh, several months, maybe a year or so, the internet will still be in kind of place after the rapture. And people will be able to come on here and see, like we were talking about this before it happened. So they know that they they shouldn't be deceived, that this wasn't aliens, it wasn't Gaia, it wasn't um, the return of the Roman gods or something, you know, it was the rapture of the church. Yeah, Crazy. totally. Totally. And, and you know, the, the things that the, that they were talking about, the Pentagon and, and, and all as they're testifying and everything, things that defy uh, the laws of science and, and, and physics, or at least the known laws, I, maybe I should say. OK, you know, so they're saying it's not just that we don't have the technology for these things. We're saying that uh, we don't have anything like that that does this or does that. But it's defying what we know to be the laws of things, you know? I mean, it's, it's, it's yeah. crazy. I mean, yeah, I mean, this is something that is, is, is totally unique in, in all of, of human history. When you talk about that, a lot of people don't even know that the Vatican, I mean, they have their own Vatican astronomers, right? I mean, just think about that for a moment, uh, you know, and um, Vatican astronomers, uh, have reportedly been working toward uh, locating extraterrestrial life. Uh, you know, they have a Vatican uh, observatory, you know, and uh, I, I mean, that's that's crazy. But what with the Vatican? Uh, we don't even have time to answer that right now. But but I, I, I just, we could take any of these six and do a full program on each of these six. And, and even and struggle even to do that, you know. So this is this is quite ambitious. But uh, but I mean, just think about it. You know, why would the Vatican need you know a, a Vatican observatory and all that kind of? It's crazy. And then you think about this. I don't know if you've heard of this or not. There's actually a book out there. <laughs> what would or would you baptize an extraterrestrial? And other questions from the uh, uh, from the astronomers you know, uh, inbox in at the Vatican Observatory. It's a hardcover. Would you baptize an extraterrestrial? And uh, uh, these are some, some, you know, key guys there in the Roman Catholic Church that are, uh, the, the reality is, is that they're saying, well, you know, if, if you know, Mr. and Mrs. Uh, alien, you know, came down to earth and, and wanted to join uh, the Roman Catholic Church and all of that, that, uh, that we would baptize. I mean, you got to be kidding me. And they're putting books on this kind of stuff. I mean, you want to talk about supernatural, paranormal, just wacky. I mean, it's just, you know, and then I, I don't know if you heard about this, uh, witch talk. Have you heard of that, witch talk? So CBNnews.com said witch talk broom, uh, booms to 30 billion views on TikTok. Uh, Ex-witch warns preschool witchcraft is targeting kids. Think about that. Witch talk. TikTok's, uh, it's got hashtag uh, witch there. And uh, 20 billion views. 
I, I mean, absolutely crazy. And what do you see? You see tons of demonic activity, all the demons uh, coming out of the uh, abyss, all of this kind of stuff in Revelation. Man, I mean, we are just right there on the heels of everything breaking loose and, and going crazy. You know, it says in Revelation 3.21, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. To him who overcomes. So in other words, look, that's not a setup for us. You know, like that, this isn't something that can't be done. Scripture says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right. So to him who overcomes, in other words, we can overcome because I can do all things through Christ as a born again, spirit filled follower of the Lord. I can do all things through Christ. Right. Or in Revelation 12, 11, it says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death, you know. So, I mean, hey, we are more than overcomers. We're, we're you know, <laughs> supersized overcomers uh, through the Lord. You know, it says, you are of God, 1 John 4, 4, little children, you have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And, and you know, maybe there are those viewers that are watching right now, you feel like you're just overwhelmed and, and it's just coming in like a flood and it's uh, the things that are going on, it's just, it's just going to overcome you. It's not going to overcome you because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So, hey, Pete, we got we to gotta wrap this up here, but... Um, uh, you have uh, something uh, that you'd like to share with us uh, as we close this uh, this afternoon? Uh, just that, you know, I know that, that people are interested in the occult. They're interested in all these things. Uh, just, you know, just recognize that when you settle for anything other than God, you're, sec you're settling for second best. You're settling for a cheap knockoff version of power. You're settling for a cheap knockoff version of, of happiness, of fulfillment, contentment joy, peace, kindness, love, all of those things, uh, you cannot find that apart from Jesus Christ. So we know for believers, we know that the times are growing dark. Uh, they already are dark. They're getting darker. They're getting harder to to go through. We just need to to, to lean into the storm, recognize that the end is, is right here. We're right there just a little bit longer. Hold fast to the faith, and uh, we'll be seeing our redemption very, very soon. Amen, Pete. Amen. That's that's great. That's great. Hey, thank you, man. Just uh, so great uh, having you on as uh, as my guest today, and uh, it's been great, man. What a what a roller coaster ride this has been, right? <laughs> man, we we covered a lot of ground. I, uh, yeah. Man, I can't I can't believe can't believe it. Well, everyone, I just want to remind everyone, encourage you at six p.m. tonight to uh, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time to uh, join us at, uh, at my church there, Calvary Chapel Harvest Life. And uh, we've got our special guest that's joining us again tonight. Uh, that'll be uh, Don Perkins, uh, giving a great uh, prophecy update there. You don't want to miss that uh, as well. We should also have information on the description in the description section of this uh, video there of uh, how you can uh, reach me and how you can reach uh, Pete Garcia as well. So, uh, hey, everyone, you have a great... Uh, uh, afternoon, rest of the afternoon, evening, and uh, God bless you guys. And uh, Pete, God bless you, man. Thank you. Bless. Thanks for listening and being a part of this week's podcast. Before you go, I'd like to invite you to visit our website, hopeforourtimes.com, and check out the many resources we have to offer. On our website, we have books, DVDs, and daily news articles that will always keep you up to date on the times we're living in. If you'd like to see the video version of this week's podcast, you can find us at Hope For Our Times on YouTube. God bless, and we'll talk to you next time.